Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Thomas Merton said that judgments from God are also always the mercy of God. Though this thought is perhaps perplexing at first, we would do well to listen to the Kentucky Anchorite. For we have the tendency to view biblical curses as ends rather than means, a concept consistently rebuked by the prophets. This important truth applies directly to our discussion of Ham. For Ham did sin. Canaan, the nation descended from Ham, was cursed. But in this final essay, we consider the third point made in Article 1, namely that the curse on Canaan is void. And it is void precisely because, though the curse of subjugation that fell on Canaan, his full penalty of slavery was mercifully borne by another. Our final point is unquestionably the simplest to see and understand, yet ironically it has the most fruitful significance for us. Simply put, the curse on Canaan is void because the curse of Canaan was broken by the cross of Christ. Gregory Nazianzus, the 4th century patriarch of Constantinople, teaches us that, quote, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed, end quote. Though he was specifically retorting a Christological heresy, we can apply this astute observation to our discussion of Canaan, mutatis mutandis. For Jesus Christ, as second and last Adam, was not merely a man as we typically consider men, that is, autonomous individuals. He was fully man, but no man is a mere man. To be man is to be a creature in society. For we are God's image, and God is a society of persons. Thus we are not primarily individuals, but interdividuals, unknowable apart from our associations, associations personal, vocational, and national. And remember, what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. When the Word became flesh then, he added to his divinity not merely humanity as such, but all that it means to be human. In Christ, God assumed a personal identity, Jesus of Nazareth, a vocational identity, Son of Mary, carpenter, and eventually Christ, but also a national identity, Israelite. If the nations mattered not, Jesus would have come out of nowhere. But we know that when he was manifest among us, he came from Israel since Israel was not only a member of, but chiefly a representative of all other nations as their priest, Exodus 19.6. At the height of Israel, geographically, was Mount Zion, the location of the temple, the largest section of which was the court of the Gentiles, since it was to be the place where all nations were to pray to Yahweh. And at the height of Israel, liturgically, was the Feast of Tabernacles, corresponding to the seventh day of creation as the seventh feast, at tabernacles, or booths, as it's sometimes called, Israel celebrated Yahweh's dwelling in their midst, and sacrificed 70 bulls, representing the 70 nations of Genesis chapter 10, which includes the Hamite Canaanite nations, looking forward to their full inclusion. Christ himself, we know, is the true temple dwelling of God among the nations, 
the sacrifice in whom the seventy nations were assumed by representation. For in life the son walked in a world held together by the cultural homogeneity of the Greeks, the sons of Japheth, whose tents had grown large enough to provide a civilizational shelter to the world that then was. His death at the hands of the Judean elite was that of a slave of Rome. In Rome, we have the zenith of the Hamitic Canaanite libido dominandi. They embodied the height of Canaanite enslavement by being enslaved to making slaves of all beneath their boot. Thus, Paul tells us directly that he was found in the form of a slave. Yet though he died as a slave and for slaves in the Greco-Roman milieu, he died as the Christ of Israel, those who bore the name and vocation of Shem, and above all, he died as the second and last Adam by virtue of his miraculous incarnation. Thus, in Christ, all the nations were assumed, if not in origin, then certainly in representation. Above his cross, therefore, was nailed an inscription for all nations to read in their own language, so that the world might again begin to lisp the union of praise to the one King of Kings. Yet redemption without resurrection is no redemption at all. Moreover, no sacrifice was complete unless it became an olam, an ascension of smoke rising to Yahweh. Redemption began at the Incarnation, but it is not complete until the Ascension. Thus, to bring the new life, the new reunion of the nations assumed, the resurrection, the Ascension, and subsequent enthronement of Jesus Christ established a kingdom, quote, not of this world. That is, not in association with a particular people group of this world, which tears down the dividing wall even between the most hostile nations, Ephesians 2.14. In Christ and in the new covenant ushered in by his blood and bodily assumption, the nations as they were in the old covenant are no more because the cross of Christ has broken the curse on the Canaanites and their heirs, making one new kingdom that all nations are called to join. Here, then, is the Bible's post-resurrection political theology as summarized by Paul and John. For Paul, quote, there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. To wit, quote, one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. End quote. Paul, in fact, warns often against national divisions in the church and specifically names genealogical division as a particular point of condemnation and disassociation from a brother, Titus 3.9. Precisely because these divisions no longer mean anything in a world that is now only divided into the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of the beloved Son, Colossians 1.13. Also, when reading John's Apocalypse, notice that after the current millennial reign of Christ, as described in Revelation 20, those who are still referred to as nations are also collectively referred to as Gog and Magog, e pluribus unum. Moreover, the saints of verses 9 and 10 
who overcome the armies of the enemy by miraculous deliverance, are, quote, the beloved city. Not only do we see a clear dichotomy between nations, the old kingdoms, and saints, the new kingdom, but also the idea of two covenant bodies. However we square it, we may definitively say that whatever the nations are now, they are clearly not presented in a positive light and juxtaposed against the church. For Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, assumed the nations at his incarnation, took them down with him into his death at the crucifixion, raised them to walk in a new way at his resurrection, and restructured them as the one people with its own culture, language, and liturgy at his ascension. As all other fruits of the fall, national divisions are both already and not yet destroyed. As our father in the faith Augustine taught us long ago, the new covenant only knows two realms— those who belong to the city of God, those who belong to the city of man. For the truth is that all nations fell under the Canaan's curse of subjection, especially mystery of mysteries, Israel herself, Romans 9 and 10. Yet herein is the mystery revealed, Romans eleven thirty two, with context added. Quote, God has consigned all nations to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all nations. End quote. So, do you hate your Hamite neighbor, mocking their Canaanite bondage? Do you look down on the descendants of Shem because you fancy yourself of the tents of Japheth? Then repent and receive the good news of Yahweh's nation-uniting victory. Hear the word of the Lord from Zechariah. Quote, All the nations that have come against Jerusalem, shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Booths, and there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. All nations, or even especially the once cursed Canaanites, are being brought into the temple, the church. So welcome them to Christ, and work to see them seated with you at his table. Baptize them, and teach them all that he commanded. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.